everybody. Welcome back to On The Mix. I'm your host, Lindsay, and today we're doing something a little bit different. This kind of came serendipitously, to be honest, because last week I was doing my own research on my vinyl collection. I was just kind of going on different websites. I was looking up on YouTube, just a couple of different things on vinyl because I have a vinyl collection and I love vinyl. And so I was just kind of looking to see what the vinyl community was uploading. I noticed that people were looking at records that are called 78s. And if you have a record player, you know that your record player has three speeds, one for the 45s, the 33 and a third, and the 78s. And to be honest, I never really knew what the 78 was for until I realized that the 78 RPM is used for what's called shellac records. And these shellac records is one of the first iterations of modern day records that we know of. And they came about really, really early on, like from the early 1910s, but they came about even earlier than that in the very late 1800s, but they weren't made popular until the 1910s. And so I just kind of went into a bit of a spiral where I was researching like how far back does music go in terms of recording music. And that's when I came across all these all these cool things. And I came across a war between uh, these two record companies where one created the 45 that we know of today, the 7-inch 45, and then the 33 and a third albums, right? So it's a whole thing. It's really, really fascinating. I thought if I was interested in it, that you guys would be too. And then I came across like how they actually created, like physically created these records in the factories. And I thought that was really interesting too. And so I just wanted to share that information with you guys. If you like music and you also like history, I think this is a great episode for any of you to listen to. So buckle up. This is going to be a short one, but it's going to be a good one packed of a lot of interesting information. I'm going to start with talking about what's called the Edison cylindrical wax. So some of you, if you're really big into music, you know what the cylindrical wax is. If you don't know, basically that was the very first iteration of recorded music. And Thomas Edison created the cylindrical wax, but he also created the first phonograph. And you might think of the phonographs as those old gramophones with the big giant like horns on them and you crank it up with the wind up on the side. That's a phonograph, but technically the record players we have now also fall into the phonograph category. So you have Thomas Edison to thank for your record players, how they came about now, and how he invented the cylindrical wax is really fascinating because nothing like that has ever been made before. In terms of how do you capture someone's voice and how do you record it and how do you keep it? This was made in the 1800s, probably around the late 1800s or the very kind of later end of the mid 1800s. And it wasn't something that Thomas Edison was even necessarily thinking of creating for the public masses. It was just kind of something contained. And then when people started to have a demand for it, you know, and then the phonograph happened, you could play the cylindrical waxes at home. Then it became more about, okay, how do we compact this format so that it's easier to produce? It's easier for people to store. It's just a lot easier all around. That's where the 78s came about, which is known as the shellac records. 
So basically, these were standard from the late 1800s, but they began to be popular by about the 1910s, 1914, 1950, around there. And it lasted until the 40s until vinyl came about. The basic process of recording has been kind of the same. So how you get someone talking and recording instruments onto the wax, onto the records, is kind of a somewhat similar process. Basically, how they did it on the cylindrical wax was you had a really big horn, pretty much like what you would imagine of those old gramophone records, like that really giant horn that projects the music out. So you would sing directly into the horn, uh, and you would play your instruments, you know, as close as you could into the horn, and the vibrations from your voice and from the instruments would go into the horn, and the pressure that got built up with the sound waves would create the vibrations that would make the grooves on the wax or on the records. And so that's how the grooves of a record are formed. Basically, it's from vibration, from you projecting your voice into the horn, and then the stylus gets placed onto the clean, unpressed, basic record or the cylindrical wax, and the vibrations create the grooves, and that is the first iteration of how the record is made. I watched a whole lot of videos on how this process is made, and it's pretty much, basically, you have that version, right, where you just take it off of the recording machine and you create the grooves of the record. That's called the laminated master. So then it would go through a bath of various metals like nickel and silver, copper, whatever. It would get like heated and reheated so that all these metals were to form on top of it. And then you would peel away the metal from the wax and that forms what's called the metal master. And then when you peeled it away from the wax, when you think about it, it creates the negative of the record, right? So you have the positive, you put the metal on top, you peel it away, and you come back with the negative. So what they have to do is they have to go through another metal bath again, and they have to peel that one away from the metal master, and that creates the positive. And that is where the mold comes from to create these records that get mass-produced. So then what happens is it goes through a process of then actually putting the record on the mold. And so the mixture that would go into these early records, right, I said before, these are shellac records. And shellac, this might be kind of gross, but it's true. Okay, so shellac comes from resin from the lac bug. And apparently when you take this resin and you harden it, it becomes shellac. So that is part of this mixture with a couple of other different ingredients that gets created in these manufacturing companies and it gets made into like a dough. I was watching this and it almost looked like, if you can imagine how like taffy candy is made, how it looks like a giant pile of dough on these rollers that would get rolled out into dough. That's kind of what it looked like. So basically, it would get rolled out into a dough and then it would get cut into the perfect size for these records. And these 78 records are 10 inches. They're not the typical like 12 inch, 33 and a third, and they're not the seven inch 45s, they're 10 inch. So how the molds worked was really interesting. If you can think in your mind, like how those old school waffle makers are, you have a top and you have a bottom, you pour the mixture inside and then you squeeze and then you like flip it over. 
And that's how you created the records. You would have one mold that's for side A and one mold that's for side B. And that's how you create and how you make a record. It's not done there though. Because what has to happen next is people that are like professional music listeners have to listen to all of these records and they have to pick up like, okay, are the grooves correct? Like, are the grooves in place and how they should be? Does the music sound good? Are there any inconsistencies? Are there any pops or scratches or blah, blah, blah in here? And so they have to listen to these records before they approve it, before it then gets fully mass produced and it gets shipped out and onto the racks of these record stores and into your house. And that's essentially the rundown of how these records were made. And that is basically the same process that happens now. So that's basically the first iteration of what we know as the record is these shellac records. And then we move on from there. Shellac records were designed to only hold about three to four minutes of music per side. And so that wasn't a long enough time for people who wanted to put more music on records. And what was also important to note is that these record companies had plans to change the shellac records into vinyl, but it was put on hold by World War II. And then when the war ended, it took some time for things to get back to normal. And then the process for switching the shellac into what we know as vinyl started back up. Um, So now we're going to get into the creation of the 33 and a third, aka the 12 inch vinyl of what we all know now. So by June 1948, Columbia Records came out with and introduced a new form of listening to music called the long-playing microgroove non-breakable vinylite record. So if you've ever heard the term LP before, which I know probably all of you have heard the term LP, right? You're probably thinking to yourself, what does LP stand for? Well, that's what it stands for. It stands for long-playing. But so like I mentioned, right, the shellac records were really brittle, they were really fragile, they were easily breakable. And so Columbia was marketing these records as non-breakable. They had better sound quality and you could play them for up to 45 minutes, which was a hell of a lot longer than the shellac records, like so much longer. So how they used to package albums a long time ago is quite different to how we know of it now, because if you think about it, an album... We can get it on maybe one vinyl or maybe a double vinyl, you know, three, maybe max, you know, four vinyls. We can get, you know, a full kind of album with extra stuff on it, right? But back then, because shellac records only held three to four minutes of music, you know, if you wanted to put out an album, you had to do it in a very, very different format. So albums, we know albums as being, you know, like a musical album, but back then they took the term album literally and how they used to package these records was in an actual book, like an actual book album. So you would have to open it up like a book. They would have maybe four, five shellac records of a whole thing spanned out and you would flip it over like a book. And that's how they would package albums back in the day. Obviously, it's not very convenient, which is why the 33 and a third came out because they wanted to make sure that they could put a whole album on one vinyl. But also something to note about these new records also was they didn't say on the records that these were to be played at 33 and a third because most records before only had one speed to be played at, which was the 78 RPM. 
So eventually they had to differentiate that this is played on 33 and a third. And they only took the time to mention that these new albums were to be played at 33 and a third RPM when the introduction of the 45s came along. And so now because they have this new format of records, people are probably thinking, well, how are we going to play them? Because record players were only made for the 78s. Well, a brand called Philco created the first record players that could play these new vinyl records. They created one where you could attach the new record player to your existing setup, or they had those really big double cabinet players where you could have one player for your 78s and another player for your 33 and a thirds. And, you know, I'm sure people at the time were like, why do I have to buy a new system for these, right? But it was worth it because these shellac records were totally over and done with by the time that the 33 and a third came out. So what was interesting, right? I said that Columbia Records came out and they created the 33 and a third record, and that's true. Columbia is the company to create that. However, RCA Victor had an attempt before to come out with the 33 and a third record, but it didn't work. Their version of the record was capable of only 15 minutes per side of playing time, and they actually didn't use the vinyl material for their 33 and a third attempt. So it was still the shellac version, which was not even going to work. So it had less playing time, and it was still the crappy shellac material. RCA Victor just wasn't winning here, but RCA Victor had the attempt to think about it. It just, it wasn't going to work in their iteration. They tried. They came out with these records and people were complaining because the steel stylus on these old phonographs that were equipped for playing the 78 records were ruining these 33 and a third albums because you're compacting a lot more music on each side of the record whereas the 78s had a lot wider groove space because you only put one song on each side so the steel stylus on these old phonographs were a lot bigger because it, it was equipped for playing these big grooves on the 78s. But when you played these versions of the 33 and the thirds, it would totally tear up these records. And so, of course, you couldn't play it. And that's why these new record players had to be equipped with these new smaller styluses that could play the 33 and the third. And that's why Philco came out with these new record players. So that's why it was important to have a new record player, essentially. So this is where a little bit of the competition kind of starts. A man named Edward Wallerstein worked at RCA Records on this 33 and a third project, right? It failed. And because it failed, he ended up moving to Columbia Records. And eventually, through just kind of working with the company, he became the chairman for Columbia. And one of the first things he did as chairman for Columbia was he started production on creating 33 and a third records with vinyl material. He had this idea from RCA, but it failed. He went to Columbia and he said, right, this is the way that music is going to be. We need to create this now. So during this time, they were starting to master their shellac records. They knew that this was going to happen. They knew that this was going to come out. And so to get caught up or to get ahead of the competition, they made sure to master their shellac records on this new vinyl material on these 33 and a third albums. So that when they launched, they had like 
hundreds of albums for people to purchase already. So they were just winning on a whole front. They went so far and beyond to make sure that not only are we creating a new product, a new way for music to be heard, but we're creating these albums that you already know on this material so you can feel safe in what we're giving you. And that you can go out and you can buy these records yourself. We're not just coming out with one or two albums. We have a whole catalog, baby. <laughs> so Columbia was really going for it, right? Columbia tried to get other record companies to master their shellac records into this new vinyl material so that, you know, the record players that Philco was coming out with could make it seem like a bigger incentive for the public to purchase. Because like I said, you know, people have been having these shellac records since the turn of the century up until the late 40s. And I'm sure families were like, we don't have the money to buy a new record player. Why do we need a new record player? when Columbia at the time was the only one that was doing it. So Columbia was trying to get other companies onto the scene with, hey, create these new records so that we're not the only company coming out with this new format and people might push back on it. So they were trying to get people to join in. This is where the fire between the 45s and the 33 and a third starts with Columbia versus RCA because before Columbia presented this new format to the public, they invited RCA over to their headquarters for a meeting to show them this new, innovative creation. And when RCA saw that Columbia, quote-unquote, took their idea for the record and they created it and they made it themselves, RCA was like, oh, hell no. This is not happening. You take our idea and you run with it? Absolutely not. So we are going to create our own different iteration. And that's where the 45 came along. RCA Victor, hands down though, it, it's a fact. They did create the 45. After this meeting that they had with Columbia, right? Not long after that meeting, they went back to their own headquarters. And they were like, okay, we got to think of like, this innovative, cool, different idea. So after some time, they invited Columbia over to their headquarters to show off in a really kind of pompous way, like, hey, Columbia, check out what we're working on. And they told them about some weird tape format that they were working on, but they didn't actually show them the 45s because believe it or not, they forgot that they created this 45 idea. And they didn't think to show Columbia this because they simply forgot that they initially had the idea of creating the 45 before World War II, and it was just shelved for all this time. So it wasn't until this meeting with Columbia that they kind of remembered like, oh yeah, we had that project that we never started. Oops. Um. Okay, let's run with that. So that's where it came about. I mean, you can consider it healthy competition. But RCA Victor is so petty in this. It's really, really funny. So Columbia catches word through the grapevine that RCA is coming out with this new 45 system. And they're not really worried about it, to be honest, because they know that their product is superior. So what they do before RCA comes out with their product, Columbia puts out an article in the papers basically just reassuring the customers and the public that the vinyl LP was superior and that it was here to stay. 
that these 45s ain't got nothing on the 33 and a third. So, RCA revealed the 45 in January 1949. At this time, they didn't have a name for these records, but they were marketing it as a 7-inch record being played at 45 RPM, and it would be based around a charger unit on a record player. So, they were marketing these adapter charger units to the public as something that you can hook up to your existing record players, or you could buy a new sound system! Again, like, we're coming up with this new thing, guess you gotta shell out money to buy a totally new system now. It was really, really crazy. But uh, yeah, so basically, that's what they were coming out with. They initially called these 45s Madame X for a short-lived time, which is weird. I don't know where they came up with that. They said, yeah, we're calling these 45s um, Madame X. Yeah, okay, it never stuck. So they're like, okay, you know what, whatever, we'll just call these 45s. And so that's where the 45 came about. And you're probably thinking to yourself as well, why do the 45s have a bigger hole in the middle than the LP? And the LP has like a really small little hole in the center. And what I learned was a lot of European countries actually don't have the large hole. It's mainly America and a couple of other European countries that have the larger hole in the middle. But here's the reason why these 45s were made with the larger hole in mind. They were made with the larger hole in mind because these were formatted to play on these home charger units that they were promoting. Basically, you could think of these charger units that they were promoting as a home jukebox, right? And you know jukeboxes play 45s. And in order to hold all those 45s to be played one after another, you had to have a bigger hole in the middle so that the charger, the changer, could hold all those 45s. So basically what they were promoting is a new adapter where you could hold 10 45s at a time and it would automatically cycle through the 45s like a jukebox. And that's why the 45s have a larger hole. These 45s that they presented also introduced colored vinyl for the first time ever. And they had like a kind of category for each colored vinyl. So basically, green was for country music, red was for classical music, a midnight blue was for popular classics, yellow was for kids' music, orange was for R&B, and sky blue was for international music, and black was for basic popular music of the time. So I didn't know that either. But at some point, they had to stop using the color-coded system because it became more expensive, which is why. Even today, when a band comes out with a black vinyl and a color vinyl edition, the color vinyl is always more expensive because of the material used. So this was a short run-through of these colors. Eventually, they just went with black to come out with the 45s. So RCA, I mentioned before these new record players that they were promoting for the 45s. They had some interesting marketing qualities, which I'm going to get into. One interesting quality was that you can create your own 10-disc album, or essentially you can create your own at-home playlist and play it in the order of which you want, which is basically what we do today. You can create your own playlist of music digitally, but RCA did it first on these records. So basically, they were marketing it as you can create your own at-home special 10-disc album of your own choosing. 
And something that they also did was they kept in line with how they used to package albums back in the day in terms of using their own 45s was they still used the old format of those actual albums where if you wanted an album on 45s, you had to purchase like a book that had like six, seven, eight 45s in it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's just so inconvenient, of course, but that's what they were promoting. Like, oh, you want to listen to an album on 45s? Well, we got you. You just got to buy this whole freaking album book. So another feature of the 45s that stood the test of time was they claimed that you can stack them flat. So, you know, vinyl purists will probably throw a conniption fit if you were to stack your vinyl, laying them flat. They'll say, what are you doing? You're going to warp the records. You're going to destroy the records. But the thing about the 45s that I did not know, they were made to be stacked flat. Well, you could if you wanted to. So basically, they built the 45 so that the space where the label sits in the middle is slightly raised above the rest of the record so that if you were to stack them on top of each other, only the center label will be touching the label. Nothing is touching the grooves. So your vinyl will stay really, really nice. It won't get smashed, unlike the 33s where it's flat. I saw them online. They had like the little space in between. I don't know. It's something really interesting that vinyl purists and vinyl lovers will just really, really enjoy. However, when it came down to it, the LP, the 33 and a third, sold a lot more than the 45s. And of course, the 33 and a third, the 12-inch album, is a lot more compact. It's so much easier than handling these 45s. Of course, RCA had to eventually bow down to Columbia Records as the victor in this battle of the 45 versus the 12-inch, okay? But RCA was like, hell no, I'm not going down that easily. <laughs> Our ship might be sinking, but I'm not going down without a fight. So they were really steadfast in their product, saying that it was modern. It was the most modern, most easy way to listen to music, and it would outlast the LP. RCA was like, hell no, we are not backing down. We are saying the 45 is the best and Columbia can suck it because we're awesome. RCA had to cave because, you know, they couldn't just keep making 45s. So in January of 1950, they announced that they too would start making 33 and a third albums as well. But they wanted one last row at Columbia. I'm telling you, RCA could not let go. They were not leaving without one last fight. This is really weird. They created an article in the papers slamming all these other record companies and they were saying they listed 12 facts, quote unquote facts, okay, about why the 45 was superior, why their record company was the best record company, they put out the best product, and like, you know, yeah, okay, we're going to create 33 and a third records and our records will be better than other people, so you can thank us later. Oh my god, high school drama in this whole debate. It's just like, what? Why are they doing this? <laughs> they literally wrote out this weird manifesto of 12 facts about why they were better than everyone else, <laughs> but they really kind of weren't. You have to let it go. They just could not let it go without a fight. Like, granted, sure, they might have had the idea to come out with the 33 and a third, but their version sucked and it didn't work. 
So Colombia made it, and they made it better. You can't hate Colombia for it. You can't hate the player, hate the game. Boom, 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 shots fired. Okay, <laughs> basically, right, that is kind of the battle. That's the rundown of the 45 versus the 33 and the third. RCA Victor held steadfast for one entire year before they gave up and they were like, oh, okay, I guess I'll make 33 and a third albums or whatever. This is where things get really cool. So by 1945, Philco creates the first three-speed record player with an adaptable changer. And this is where what we know of our record players to have today. Go Philco for creating this, right? So as well as making vinyl LPs, RCA dropped the colored 45. Like I mentioned before, it just got too expensive. They couldn't do it anymore. So that whole gimmick died down in a year. What was actually interesting too was RCA made their own three-speed record players marketing young kids and teens in particular, and they made the price cheaper so that, of course, it would be marketable to kids and teens because what were they doing at the time? Well, they knew that the music was for the teens and for the kids and the new generation, and they wanted to plug into that market. So they created those really cheap plastic-looking uh, vinyl record players marketing to these young kids, and um, I guess it worked because the kids bought into it. But that is basically the history of the record, starting from the cylindrical Edison Wax to the Shellac 78s, all the way to the 33 and a third AKA album to the 45s. There you go. I just thought that was really, really fascinating. It's just so funny how little things like that. I was just genuinely looking for my own benefit, for my own record collection, just taking a look to see what are people collecting these days, what's new out in the record stores, like what's going on. And I came across these shellac records and I'm like, that's really interesting. I never took the time to really learn about what that even is and what the process of making those is. And I learned a lot of information. But I thought I would talk about vinyl because I am a vinyl enthusiast. I love collecting vinyl. It's something that I'm really, I'm really passionate about. I'm not going to lie. I really, really enjoy doing it. And I think if you are a music lover and if you also love music history and you just love history in general, I think that this episode would be a good one for you guys to really like sink your teeth into. I am going to leave it there. I hope you guys enjoyed. I hope that you learned something that you didn't know about before. And I will see you guys next Wednesday with a new episode of On The Mix. Talk to you guys later. Bye, guys. Bye.